I'm Abby. And I'm Allie. And it's about time for true crime. What is going on, you guys? Happy Thursday. Holla holla. How's your week going? Is it good? Friday, Junior. If it's not going well, you're almost done. And if it's going great, it's about to get better. Woo woo. We are today. Today. Right now. As we speak. This exact moment. Ooh. Going to talk about the murder of Diane Don. Oh, we're just getting right into it. We are. Yeah. Okay. I'm just like kind of like, you know what? Because the case that we're talking about today, there's not a ton of information on. There's several articles on it, but it's very repetitive. It's like they all got it from the same exact place. So a lot of things are worded very similarly. It's a good case regardless it's one that i think is important to talk about but what i really want to focus on is the like moral and ethical implications of what it is that went into this case and what that might look like because i think it's really important to have a conversation about that so that's kind of how we're going to split this up we're going to talk about this case and then we're going to talk about really our takes on it and so you guys know abby does not have any idea what we're talking about today none so we're just kind of going to Well, and you guys, the other thing is sometimes stuff like this comes up and it's great for us to have conversations because in those CJ shorts that we're talking about coming out with more of and in the experience that Allie and I have, we do look at a lot of these things in other cases. So sticking around for this conversation, it might not be more true crime story, but I think it will help people digest more in the future and sort of get their takes on this issue as it comes up in present day well exactly and you know we're human our opinions change and so how we feel about this right now might be different in the future or different as it applies to different cases but i just think it's important to be able to talk about it and have a space to talk about it so that's what we're going to be doing today guys awesome and also I just wanted to emphasize, we are a podcast that welcomes learning new information and changing your mind. That should be more normalized. And that Abby and I very frequently have very different opinions on things. And we are best friends and value each other's opinions and really put a lot of value in the other perspective that the other one provides. So So stick around. Maybe we'll get into like a cute little fight. me wow oh my goodness okay um (laughs) i also want to just say you guys we are in the double digits of episodes Woo! we are super excited Woo! quick little check in here how you doing how you hanging on yeah are you guys happy is there anything you want to see more of less of i know for a fact people want more hats but we know that and we know that you guys want more recent cases and you guys want global cases we've gotten some feedback about that and we love that and y'all we will deliver but we do just want to know you let us know because like i said and we've said pretty much every time we have these conversations recorded or not so you just tell us when to hit that button and we'll have the rest of them on our own (laughs) either way we would be sitting here having this conversation But we know it's an important conversation to have and we just want to share it with people and we want other people's feedback, which is exactly what we've been saying for like, I don't know, 12 episodes now. And you guys, we like you. We kind of do. We're kind of booping your little noses and little forehead kisses. A little kiss on your little nose. And like kiss on the cheek. Want to see your little kitties? Give your cats a little kiss. From us, though. Okay. From us. And then one for you, but mostly from us. Yeah. I mean... 
Well, like one from each of us, you know? Like, yeah. So we want. Like we're not the same. We want like a kiss on each cheek. Yeah. And then you can boop your cat or give him a pat. Yeah, you can do that. Okay. Yeah, we'll allow that. Okay. Thanks for respecting those boundaries. So can we talk about your case? I'm very excited. I have no idea what it's about. Yes. So we're going to kind of jump into this. So you guys know because you clicked on it. Um, this is the murder of Diane Don. So a little bit of background on Miss Diane. She was born in 1959. She grew up, she was originally from New Jersey, but she later moved out to California. Mm. And when she was in school, when she was in high school, she did like a foreign exchange student program. So she went to Austria and like that's Austrian cool. student went and stayed with her family. And so she was just very worldly and artsy fartsy and very fun. And she was a musician and she played the violin and guitar. And when you look up photos of her and we'll have her on our Instagram page and don't worry, stick around to the end. We'll tell you how to find our Instagram page. But we will have photos of her on there and every photo that you see of her, she's got her violin in her hand. Oh, like they're, they're like those portraits, like type photos of her. Like she's, she's just very musically inclined and apparently she was a fantastic musician and she was, I, I think this is kind of funny. She was also interested in like cars and like stock cars and racing and things like that. And to me, it's like, you're either like, a super musical person or you're a car person so i just think it's funny that she was kind of both yeah i'm also looking up photos of her and what a freaking cutie she is such and this is not meant to be a bad thing but she is a spitting replica of exactly what the 80s were in a musician oh my god she has the cutest little perm she's got like that good it's kind of mullety, the perms that were big in the 80s, where it's still big, but like tight near the front of your head and then kind of volumes out like Farrah Fawcett a little. Yes. And I don't know. Beautiful. I love her nose. That's a really weird comment, what but an, I love her nose. What an odd thing to love. <laughs> some people just have good noses. No, I agree. Yeah. There's some like bone structure that's just, it slaps. She, she's got it. She does. Anyway. And... Yes, it's the the photo, even the like, ha- it's almost like that like haze over the photo was so 80s. Yeah. But um, I can hear the synth. <laughs> yes, exactly. So um, she was, you know, into music. She was also into cars, which, again, I just think that's kind of funny because I normally think someone's one or the other. Like, I like music, cars. I I think that's where I put the gas. I don't know. <laughs> like, Yay, machine. Like, I can fill my windshield washer fluid like nobody's business, but don't ask me to do anything else. So, she was very close with her family, and she was especially close with her sister, Victoria, who was a little bit younger. Okay. And in 1986, she had given birth to her son, and she was 27 years old. Okay. So, we're going to jump forward two years to 1988, and this is where it's not very pleasant. Okay. Um, quick question for you. Sure. Was she partnered with the father of her son? So, to my knowledge, no. Okay. It didn't even really mention if it was, like, this ex-boyfriend. My understanding of this, it seems like maybe it was, like, a one-night stand Got type it. thing or something. Because, and we'll talk about it a little bit afterwards. 
when her son was growing up, he wasn't growing up with his dad's side of the family after she had died. So it just sounds like he wasn't very present. So oh, got it. Okay. One night stand or not, it just sounds like when she was pregnant and had him. She was doing it on her She own. was doing it on her own. And what so, a queen. On May 2nd, 1988, Diane Don was expected at work, but okay. she did not arrive. That's never a good sign in the true crime stories. And I feel like we see that a lot where it's like people's workplaces are the first to notice that they're not there because it's uncharacteristic that they just wouldn't show up. And that's exactly what happened here. She worked as a radio repair technician for the San Diego Transit Corporation. So we're, in, that's you know, so cute. still in California. Um, and this was odd because she was punctual and responsible and she had a two-year-old at home. And so she wasn't trying to lo- miss out on a paycheck. So it was, yeah. it was strange. So one of her coworkers decided to take a ride to her apartment, which wasn't far, just to check on her, see what was going on. And her apartment was in Santee, California, S-A-N-T-E-E. And I'll have a photo of her apartment complex. I thought it was really cute. Um, definitely very 80s. Yes. Every time we have anything in the 80s, I'm like, that's so the 80s. But but it's it's an aura. Like, it's not even a vibe. It's not just a style choice. Like, everything in the 80s combines to be so 80s. But you see a photo, like, of someone in the dress and the hair and everything. So anyway... Um, when this coworker pulled into the apartment complex in Santee, California, Diane's two-year-old son, Mark, was just walking around the complex and the coworker saw him. Hmm. He's unattended. He's just a toddler. And he's two. Yep. Walking okay. around. Oh. So the friend goes up to the bedroom Uh, Well, her apartment goes in, like, the doors, I'm pretty sure, even just open. And that is when Diane is discovered. So police arrive, and she was found in her bedroom, dead, at 1.30 p.m. And the investigators that arrived on scene were the San Diego County Sheriff's Homicide Unit. Okay. And... Oh, so they just immediately went to homicide. Well, yeah, no, she was, it was bad. Like, it was a pretty gruesome scene. There was no doubt about it. Got it. An autopsy was conducted, and it was determined that Diane had been bludgeoned and stabbed. So, it seemed like she was hit with, like, maybe not, like, a steel pipe or something Mm. like that, but something, like, something big and heavy, and she was hit mostly in the head. And then she was stabbed mostly in the chest. And they say that a combination of those things, but mostly the stab wounds in the chest was what killed her. Right. Um, a lot of sources had listed that she was found nude. Other sources didn't comment on it. But okay. from what I could tell, at least from the reports that I read, that there wasn't a sexual component to it. Like, meaning there wasn't any... Um, evidence of like rape or any kind of sexual assault so not fluids left behind right nothing that they were super concerned about and when we talk about later like dna evidence found at the scene none of that was mentioned so that doesn't completely rule it out in my mind sometimes that's just left out of the reports or at least what gets publicized but right regardless it's gruesome and a terrible scene and her son was just found walking around 
Well, and hey, you guys, just a quick note, too. Um, sometimes certain components are left out of reports, especially if it's something that hasn't been solved yet. So like right now I'm in the middle of doing my John Bonet series. There's a lot that is held back with those reports because it's like a verification for law enforcement. If they have certain details of the crime that only a killer or a part, a party in the crime would know, that's kind of like a way to ensure you have the right guy. So it's possible that it could have just been not there. It's possible that it might have been overlooked, but it's also possible that if it was something that they needed to know, they intentionally kept it to themselves. Well, and that's exactly it. And so like a lot of the sources that I have for this are actually from the sheriff's office that had published an article. That's on, awesome. On this case. Um, so where they didn't comment either way, I kind of thought exactly what you're talking about, where sometimes they will purposefully not include that so that if someone does happen to have that information, then they are more likely a, a right. suspect in, the, in that case. So while I'm at it, other sources that we're going to talk about, um, the East County Magazine had an article that I had read about law and crime. The National Institute for like Cancer Research is also one that I was looking Fascinating. at. We'll get into that. It's not like about cancer, but we'll get there. <laughs> um, the Cleveland Clinic, um, some other things. And you'll find out why, guys. Stop asking. <sighs> I want to know. So at the scene, it was gnarly. But they just didn't have that much to go on. Okay. It was the 80s. There wasn't anyone else that lived in the apartment with her, at least from what I could tell. It seemed like it was just her and her son. Okay. He's two. They can't question him. But he was able yeah. to get out of the home. What people assume is after the murder happened. Poor kid. And he's got no recollection of this. Good. As an adult today, has no memory of this. I'm glad. So they took scrapings from under her nails um, and there was actually like the strand of hair that was like in her hand that didn't belong to her. They could tell that it didn't belong to her, but that's all they knew at the time. They didn't really have much to do with it. They clipped her nails. They could tell that something was, you know, under her nails and were just sort of hopeful about it. Right. And the hair. But in 1988, they weren't doing the testing that we have today. So it was filed away basically for a rainy day until someday it could something could come of it but right at this time that was not that day and her family is grieving her son is growing up without ever knowing his mom and the investigators are no closer to any answers oh so the case went cold because there's no there's just no leads well and it sounds like from all reports and accounts it's not like she would be someone who had a lot of enemies. It doesn't seem like there are people that are really out to get her. She's just doing her thing, making a life for herself and her child. Exactly. And because, you know, they interviewed her family members, her colleagues, her friends, her neighbors. They didn't have any leads. They didn't have any idea who would want to hurt her. Right. She was kind. She pretty much kept to herself. She was raising her son. A beautiful musician. She was close with her family. Like, she had her hobbies, but she didn't have enemies. Not anyone that anyone would think would hurt her. Right. So, now we're going to jump ahead. 12 years. We're in the year 2000. Whoa. 
Yeah. Okay. Still, still cold. So ice, we this one cold. went cold real fast. They just didn't. I mean, they interviewed. They did their due diligence. They tried. Right. But there just wasn't anything to go on. And there's a lot of crimes in this area. So it very quickly just didn't become one that they could keep up with. Right. And they didn't have the means. There just there wasn't anything at this time. It was just put it away and hope for the future. Yeah. As sad as that is, that's exactly what happened. So in the year 2000, the samples were brought back out again because technology had had 12 years to advance and they were hopeful that and it, one of these advancements might actually point them in, in a good direction. Okay. So this time, um, the cold case team of the homicide unit was handling it. So not that original group of people, but right. same unit, just different like subsection of the cold cases. And they are leading the way. And so it was determined that DNA was under her fingernails. Ooh. So they didn't know whose. Right. But they could just tell that it, it wasn't her DNA. So, you know, it could have, I don't know, could have been anything. So they were just, I guess, thankful to have a confirmation that it belonged to another person. Right. More hope. And so that's all they have. They know it's human DNA and they believe the DNA is the killers because typically when DNA is gathered and and focused there in an event like this, it's typically someone trying to protect themselves and yeah, a defensive wound. That's how that would come up. So someone trying to defend themselves will resort to scratching or pushing or grabbing or anything they can do to try to free themselves. And so where she was found nude and, and all of these things, it just sort of all pointed to that. Obviously, you know, we know that looking back from our point of view, 22 years later, but this is where we are. So we're in 2000. And you guys, you know what else I just wanted to point out? If you are defending yourself for any reason, let's not forget about the easy targets. Eyes. Nose. You have to be careful with nose. Balls. Feet. I don't know. Whatever you got, you just <laughs> stick your little acrylics in it. Okay? Eyes. Nose. Balls. <laughs> What about it? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. No. You scratch someone's eye out, they can't see shit. You poke someone up the nose so far with an acrylic nail that it hits their brain, they can't think. <laughs> they, they can't <laughs> think. I'm just kidding. It, it's not like that. But if you do hit a nose, you have to be careful because if you hit it at the right angle, you can't actually kill someone. But um, yeah, go for the easy targets. That's okay. But anyway... Well, but, and that's exactly it. And so obviously like, I mean, and they knew in the eighties that that was likely what happened, but they just couldn't do anything with it. So when they're looking at it 12 years later in 2000, they're like, okay, now we can at least try to confirm that this was the thought that it belonged to somebody. And so it wasn't her DNA and it wasn't her son's like, you know, anyone else that it would make sense for. What I really love about the development of technology over time is you can see how it starts to finally apply science so like you know you get to the 2000s yeah we can tell it's dna you might even be able to create a like recreate a strand of dna from what you found but how are you going to connect that to a person how are you going to do that to a suspect so fascinating because i feel like cases like this the more you go on the more you see how technology catches up to life which is just cool it is it's fascinating but unfortunately, at this time, they couldn't make anything of it. Right. And the so, 2000s, I mean, 
early 2000 was better than 88, but only by 12 years. And it just, it wasn't enough time for things to develop to the point that it needed to yet. So they tried testing further in 2001, but the profile that was developed as a result was deemed insufficient and no new information was gathered at this time. So then we'll fast forward again to June of 2010. Okay. So 10 years more. Okay. So we are... Yeah, recent. 22 years past this crime. Yes. That's pretty far. So the family has been in shock for, you know, 22 years. The son does not know his mother at all. And he's an adult. And he's a young man now. So they take a look at the samples again, but now they have access to newer and better technology. So they tested the hair and the DNA that was found under her nails again and were able to determine that they belonged to the same person. Okay. Which was a new installment. That's exciting. They run the profile through CODIS, which is the combined DNA index index system. So if you've watched literally any TV show related to this stuff, you've heard of it. But a lot of people don't know what the acronym stands for. So there you go. Um, And that is like the federal database that has compiled offender DNA and a lot of it's it's a really good place to cross reference these profiles. So running the profile through CODIS did not yield any results. So that was kind of but they have it. Okay. Okay. And that was it for 10 more years. What? And now we're in May 2020. Oh, my gosh. So, like, world's shutting down. Tiger King is, like, the shit, apparently. This Hi, is, all this you is, cool cats and kittens. It's Carol Baskin. So, we are... This is where we are. This is how recent this, this is. This is nuts. Yeah. So, this time, the cold case team and the sheriff's crime lab start working on the case by using what's called investigative genetic genealogy. Okay. So, investigative genetic genealogy... Basically, they're using the science they have to... We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. You explain it. So, this information here is from the San Diego County Sheriff's Department website. Like I said, there's a lot of stuff in here that this is from. And if you're interested, you should absolutely look into it. Um, And, you know, they're actually the ones doing the testing. So, it's just cool for them to have supplied this information. So, I'm not... I'm not second guessing it. They're the ones that didn't. Yeah. Um, So after 18 months of collecting familial samples and testing DNA and all of that, they get a lead. Their search has given them a suspect. That suspect's name is Warren Robertson. Okay. So a little bit about Warren. He had grown up in Arkansas and had moved to California in his younger years which is consistent with the timeline of Diane's murder, but we'll get there. Okay. He lived in the same apartment complex on Graves Avenue in Santee, California at the exact same time. Oh my gosh. He was a tow truck driver and he was very interested in stock car racing and shows. Which she was also interested in cars. Oh yeah. Later, not long after Diane was discovered murdered, He left his family and he moved to Indiana. Oh. He lived in Indiana until he died in a house fire in 1999. Okay. 
that that's that, that's it when he died he was only 39 and through all of the testing that they did the sheriff's office was confident that warren robertson murdered diane don okay so they can't prove whether or not they knew each other like they didn't know if they had gone to like car shows together or anything like in yeah, their, if they were friendly outside of living in the same place. Right. In their interviews and things like that, like family didn't recall her talking about oh, any Warren. men. And if they did, they would have obviously interviewed them. And when they were interviewing her neighbors and things like that, there was no documentation that he was interviewed. Now, I don't know if they were direct neighbors. I mean, you think of an apartment complex. Some of them are massive. Oh, yeah. It would be pretty difficult to interview every single person and you'd probably end up with a lot more bullshit than actual facts. Well, there was, I will say this recently, um, a murder around a complex in the area. And I had a friend that lived there and she was like, yeah, like nobody else got questioned except the people in that building, which was just interesting to me. It is. And it's, they have to, you know, focus on those things, but it's just funny that they had very similar interests. And again, we don't know. They could have never have met each other. Right. I guess prior to this situation, but it's an interesting tidbit because they lived in the same building or the same uh, uh, complex and had very similar hobbies. It just sounds like they would have run into each other. Right. Or, and, you know, unfortunately, this is where my brain goes and maybe it's just from my own life and the things I've seen and heard from friends and personal experience, but... If they weren't friends, it sounds like he might have seen her and developed some sort of infatuation. And the issue is we can't even ask them. We can't ask her and we can't ask him. We can't question him and and things like that. And the so, only person that we could ask was two. And I don't remember like almost anything before I was nine. I do not blame him for not remembering things from before he was two. You got it. Exactly. Because he's an infant and that's really all you've got. So I want to kind of break down a bit of what this investigative genetic genealogy is because that's what solved this case. So if we didn't have this and the sheriff's office didn't use this approach, her murder would just be on the very long list of cold cases. Right. And that would be it. And that's probably where it would be today. So I kind of want to like switch hats here and give an ever so brief overview of what this looks like because I'm, I don't do this for a living, but I did look into this a lot because I, I do think it's fascinating and this is where the ethical moral conversation we'll have after we break this down. I want to talk about that because I think it's fascinating. Well, and I do just want to say before we totally switch, I am so glad that they were able to figure that out. I think that if it was me, I would have given up after two years. And I don't mean me investigating. I just mean like as a friend, family member, whatever. It's discouraging. It's so discouraging. And then to have updates that come 10 years at a time, like, oh, we figured something out, but never mind. That didn't lead anywhere. Oh, we figured another thing out. Okay, here we go. And and uh, it's... 10 years go by at a whack that they're trying this you know what I mean so it's like that's a that's just such a long time right so it is impressive and I am so grateful for the people that knew her and loved her that they have a resolution and that the 
cold case detectives didn't give up. I mean, this was, and we're going to talk about the work that went into this. I wanted to give you a very brief sort of overview of who Warren was and things like that. But what's more fascinating is how they got to Warren's name. Right. Because it is mind boggling. Okay. Hit me with it. So the hats have been switched. We are two forensic genealogy investigation. I like it. Okay. (laughs) So let's break down those words. We've got investigative genetic genealogy. Well, I was so close. Okay. You were, you were like right on it. So we know investigative to just be finding information, relevant facts. I don't need to explain that to you. Right. Genetic. We know that that involves DNA. We know that that involves genes. We know that that is the recipe and the composition of who and what we are. And we know that our genetics are specific to us. Right. And we know that as people, we share like 99% of the same DNA, but that 1% (gasps) makes all of the difference. All of the difference. And what separates us from each other. Because even identical twins do not have the exact same DNA. So it's what makes you, you. Yeah. With me so far? I think so. Okay. So now we have genealogy. Okay. Genealogy is the art of tracing the line back through like family history. But it's not to be confused with ancestry because it is looking at like genetics to get you there. Okay, so it's not like, um, I don't know, I could say I had a third cousin, Joseph, who parted the Red Sea, and they would be like, okay, checks out, because you were third cousins by marriage twice removed. It's like, okay, no, this person is related to you through DNA and scientifically sound Yes, and I mean, like in the marriage piece of it does matter in terms of like the kids produced of that marriage or things like that. Understood. And again, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. And if I need to do a little corrections corner in the future, I will, because there's a lot that goes into this and it's relatively new. This was 2020. Right. This is not a perfect science yet, but it is backed by science. So budding. It basically is just saying that, you know, I could look at myself. I'd have to go look at my siblings. I'd have to look at my parents, go out to aunts and uncles and cousins up to grandparents and sort of build that tree. Okay. And there are many uses of genealogy, but for our purposes today, we're just looking at how it relates to like solving a crime. Right. So what this all means, it's basically the use of the genetic information and the genealogy because it's all used in conjunction together. Okay. To identify either suspects or victims in criminal cases, and that's by means of testing relatives and shared ancestors. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. So there's a lot of controversy here regarding your Fourth Amendment rights to privacy. The idea is that, you know, I could submit my DNA to a direct-to-consumer company. These are the genealogist uh, websites and things like that, like databases that you could submit it to and it will like populate a list for you and things okay. like that. A lot of people find that fascinating. You yeah. can send your DNA in and get that result back. And that's been sort of a trend, a trend yeah. now for sure. I mean, people were giving that as like Christmas gifts, like, oh, we'll go get your, you know, whatever tested. 
So I can do that to find out if I've got family members elsewhere or who I'm related to or things like that. And, you know, there's a plethora of reasons people will choose to do that. But again, we're just focusing on how it applies to like the criminal side of it. So ideally, it would provide me with results if someone related to me has been found. But the issue here is that the databases are public. So I'm forfeiting my genetic information to this to this database in an effort to find other people related to me but other people that are related to me are out there too who i'm not looking for potentially or i am but regardless i have now supplied my genetic information that's unique to me and my family and now i have for lack of a better term like outed Right. This entire group of people that happened to share an ancestor with me. Right. Genetically speaking. Yes. And so when they, when investigators do this, you know, people can volunteer their, like, you know, say, I am okay with this being cross-referenced by law enforcement. Like, I didn't check that box that says exclude me. The issue is, though, is that that's well and fine for you. But maybe your cousin doesn't agree. Right. And now their information is 99.95% out there. You know what I mean? I know it's probably not that exact number. but Yes, definitely not that percentage. But no, exactly. Even beyond the 99.9. Now it sheds light on this other person, these other people who did not consent to this. Right. Who may have chose, you know... To uncheck that box or whatever. So, um, this was used in a case more recent. And if you guys are, you know, sickos like us, then you're aware of this. The Golden State Killer. Yes. Was recently caught. And it was, he was caught by using this method too. And I think someday we should cover him, but I wanted to kind of start with a smaller one. Understood. Shed light on what this all means. And so, the Golden State Killer was that was just a nickname for a long time but you know we know him now as joseph d'angelo who had wife kids grandkids all of these things and the horrific crimes that he committed so i don't and i'll have to look into it more i don't believe it was him that put his own information out there i (laughs) think it was like a nephew or something that did and it all got connected back so you know i think we could do an entire episode on like all of the ethical pieces of this, but I just want to like touch on it now. So I think initially my thought when I heard the investigative genealogy, genetic genealogy, okay. The investigative genetic genealogy. Thank you. Um, in my brain, I was like, Oh yes, I know about whatever it is like ancestry.com, that kind of thing. I'm glad that you specified between genetic genealogy and just ancestry. But I also know that since those products and services have become more enticing and more um, commonly used by people for whatever reason they want to, whether it's fun or investigative for their own personal reasons and not crime related reasons or they just want to know a little bit more about their history. Um, it is really putting a lot of people out on a map. And where my concern is with this is not necessarily the people that aren't 
consenting to having their information outed by being whatever it is percent extra similar to this person in your family. For me, what it comes down to is the storage and I I want to say availability of the genetic information that's out there. And I'll start with this. One place that I used to go to in college was a place that you could donate plasma. And you would get paid for it. But in order to do it, you had to basically get tested to make sure that you were healthy enough to do it, that you were eligible, like you didn't have some weird underlying condition. And there were a couple of things that they tested. And it's the same thing. Well, it's similar to when they test you before you give blood to make sure you're not anemic, that kind of thing. So they have information on your biology. But there are becoming more and more rules and regulations as to how people can store that bio information and also what they can share, whether or not it's purchased. Because in my opinion, genetic information should not be up for purchasing. But maybe I'm alone in that. I don't know. That is the part that bothers me the most. So this place that I went to go to donate plasma at recently was involved in a lawsuit for not handling genetic information well. Oh, shit. And here's the thing. I don't mind because, as I've stated before, I worked under a place that was supervised and looked at by the Bureau of Prisons and the Department of Corrections. So the government has my DNA literally whenever they want it, however (laughs) they want it. Right. But the thing that's concerning here is that not only can governments use this information to more easily track citizens which doesn't have to be a negative but certainly could be um is terrifying and now the fact that so many people are able to and are finding ways to sell that information to other people is really what gets me on this kind of thing well and that's just it and so you know if i take a step back from the the law implications of this and i think that those implications again are an episode in and of itself right your right to privacy you have i mean we are a country that places so much value and rightfully so in our freedoms yes privacy is one of those freedoms and i think we take that for granted daily a lot and especially our generation that is an entirely different conversation yes but i think you know you know our our privacy we think of instagram we think of all these other things information that we just we volunteer out there and this is just another subsection of that that we're volunteering out and that puts your entire family on a map people that did not consent right. to being put there and then i take a step back so okay that's the legal piece of it now you know my conspiracy theorist brain you know how i'm wired yeah (laughs) i'm always gonna follow the money that's just sort of where my brain goes and well who's profiting from this what does this look like you know really if people can be evil in this how will they do that absolutely because i'm interested in the extremes of of you know our psychology and how evil people can be and all of that and y'all you guys know this you guys have been sticking it out you You clicked this link you knew it Love you guys. So when I think of that and I look at like, okay, pharmaceutical companies, right? So they've tested your genetics. So what if they see an uptick in people, I don't know, with diabetes? Yep. So now pharmaceutical companies have access to all of this data and they can run those stats and say, okay, well, shit, in the next 20 years, 
you know, we're going to see an uptick of 38% of diabetics. So let's start now raising the price of insulin or, you know what I'm saying? Like things like that. I think of how people can line their pockets with this information because at the end of the day, unfortunately, that's where I think that this goes. Well, it's true. It, and especially with capitalism as the way that we run this country, money is going to be the root of so many things that are misused for greed. And, you know, regardless of your thoughts on the way that that's run, I think it is fascinating that we don't have more protections this way because, you know, we think about the privacy that we believe we're entitled to. Well, with new technology, laws don't come until after that technology is there. You can't ban the use of something that doesn't exist yet. And so you have to see a lot of harm before you start to see good legislation wise, usually because enough harm has to happen and enough people have to be invested to get legislation passed, to get the issue brought up, to understand what's happening. And as somebody who I just took a class like this past year in the different ways that technology can be used, good, bad, and otherwise between law enforcement and government agencies. You know what I learned? I learned that if you go to London, you are on hundreds of cameras a day. Every second of your life can be put together. And no, nobody is going to expect that if they walk past a bakery, People are going to know what they did three hours later. But if you look at that aggregate data and everything put together, yeah, past the bakery, turned right on this street, turned left on that street, went into this building for a while, left an hour later. And it adds a very detailed picture of your life. And genetic information like this can do the same thing. Well, and that's just it. And, you know, I'm not going to speak for Abilene. For Abilene. (laughs) Abilene. I'm not going to speak for Abel Dabbleson, but I will say... When I look at, you know, human incentive and human nature and the strive that we want to better ourselves, better the people around us, that that motivates us and things like that. I think Abby hits it on the head where our laws don't really catch up to that. And we need to protect ourselves from those things because people... People have been people for as long as there have been people, right? People will do people things. For good, bad, or otherwise. And I think in the age of technology and especially like social media and things like that, I know it's rich for a 20-something to be talking about this, but we willingly volunteer our information. In fact, we go, please take it. Yeah, and beyond that, the more information that we're giving up, especially the genetic information, you know, people who do this willingly, I've seen memes for as long as there have been locks of love and Facebook where they're like, you know, I wonder if I donate my hair and someone commits a crime and they find my hair, am I implicated in that crime? That's a good point. You never know. But you also know that when it comes to this genetic information that can be sold and looked at, My biggest concern is not using it for investigative purposes. It's not using what we have. It's how we get what we have. And I am such an advocate for knowing your local policies, knowing what's going on around you in law enforcement. You deserve to know what can be expected from you without your consent. Well, I would say deserve to know 
you have to know it is it is your responsibility to know you know we click that you know terms and conditions without a second has anyone read the terms and conditions there is a very funny south park episode about that (laughs) Um, like what is it that we saw i mean i could be signing over my firstborn and i don't even know it exactly and you know what they could come back and say hey you indicated that this was you on july 13th of 2004 and i'd be like yeah probably i wanted to download an itunes song like what do you want from me well exactly and so you know it is our responsibility to be aware of those things and to not put so much of ourselves out there and now i'm going a little bit on a tangent but it's like especially with their genetic information especially things that are related for health if we don't think that that could potentially be used against us that's just naive you know, and I'm not saying that that is what it, I think it's a, an important point to be aware of. And you might disagree with me on a lot of that. But at the very least, I hope that you pay attention. Well, and I'll say this. Originally, when I first started learning about information that could be collected and sold without you knowing who has that information, where it's being sold, what it's being sold for, I didn't care for a really long time when I first started because I was like, I have nothing to hide. What would it matter? And now as I look at it and as I've been able to look at it through the lens of genetic information plus technological advancements that we've had and we're seeing some pretty intense worldwide governments happening right now between China and all of the stuff going on in Russia. And I'm not going to get political with it, but just to say that in China, they have such a thing as basically a credit score for your social life because they can track everything. They know what you say about the government. They know who you hang out with. They know what you do because that information is given up and can be obtained not by the people collecting it. And it's terrifying that a government could be that big, that it could dictate almost every interaction that you have in your life. Absolutely every interaction, because in China, if you have a low social like score, the way your credit score is, if that's low and you hang out with someone with a higher one, there's lowers because they associate with you. That's like so that Black Mirror episode. It is almost to a T like insane the kind of information that can be had and can be regulated on a large scale because we're seeing it happen and while I don't think that this would be used for anything like that there are plenty of smaller scale victimizations that can occur from this kind of thing like you were bringing up the point of what if people who could see the number of diabetics can raise the price of insulin well, what is already high people? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so high. And I don't even want to talk about the bill that just got passed. But um, we can also see how people would use that against you in something like insurance. Oh, I don't have any pre-existing conditions that I know of. Really? Because your genetics connects you to X, Y and Z. And this fourth cousin you'd never know you had had cancer. So that's in your genes. And well, and that's exactly it is how that can be used against against you and i think in a lot of like socialized healthcare and things like that then they they end up like weighing the pros and cons you know if you're going to quote unquote cost too much 
Right. Because they know that you've got all these conditions and whatever. They're going to say, we can make that cut. You're not going to get that cancer treatment. Or you're, because you're never going to put into the system as much as you are going to take from it. Right. And now you're no longer essentially worthy. And like, the, and that is a very extreme. And I know that we're kind of going off. But regardless, at least for me, and this is Allie speaking. I hope you guys know our voices by now. <laughs> but you don't have to agree with me. I'm just happy to have the conversation about it. And I hope that what we're talking about today makes you at least think, pay a little bit more attention because these are real things and people very willy nilly will submit again, everything about them. And in this case, this was fantastic. And I want to talk about a quote here from the sheriff's department. Love. Because um, it is, it is very fascinating because the investigators made these family trees while they were focusing on Diane's case and trying to trace the DNA that was found as a result. So they ended up being pointed to Warren Robertson, not because it directed, you know, immediately directed to him. The pro the process was quote, so exhaustive. Nine family trees were constructed with nearly 1,300 people connected to Robertson, Uh, even through blood and marriage. When they spoke with direct relatives, they supplied the DNA that could be tested and it was a match. And that's how they got him. But it took weeding through 1,300 people, their lives, their DNA, family trees, marriages, divorces. That's so messy. And so that was not only an extreme burden on the investigators, and I don't mean burden as in it, they shouldn't have done it, but it was a lot of work. Right. And a lot of tracking and calling and getting consent and all of these things. And the the end result was fantastic. The family got closure. Unfortunately, he's already dead. And even if he wanted to deny it, I mean, you're innocent until proven guilty. He couldn't defend himself. I mean, it, everything points to him. Right. But we might find out in 15 years that this is all hocus pocus. I'm not. He could have a twin brother out there with slightly different uh, DNA. And I don't think that that's the case. But I'm I'm very hesitant to say this is, you know, the all truth, you know, that capital T truth. I'm I'm weary to really emphasize that. But I think it is really important to remember that while there are good things, there are also bad things. And I just think it's important to talk about and as individuals we have decisions to make for what we want in our lives what parts of us we want available to others and do i want my third cousin who i've never met to submit something and now this information about me can be gathered yeah so now you know at my doctor's visit or my whatever or my workplace doesn't want to provide my insurance because i you know what i mean there's things there are things that should be in my opinion private or that you decide if they're private or not. Yes. And you take away that choice from other people when you do that. And for me, the concern lies less with the type of information and more about the circulation and knowing where your information is. Do I care if somebody can go to my Instagram and see that I went to a farm with a goat? No. I will put that out there. Y'all can look. Do I care if somebody knows specific information to me that can 
make or break a variety of opportunities and closed doors that otherwise would have been open? Yes. And I think that it is shrewd of all of us, whether you fall on the spectrum where you were like me at the beginning and didn't care, or you found a motive for you to be extra cautious of this, I think it's important to have a conversation with yourself, with the people that you love, and just figure out where you stand. Because one day, regardless of whether or not you commit a crime or anyone you know commits a crime, but maybe somebody who has DNA shared with 1,300 other people does, and you have to be asked about it. You deserve to know where you stand on that before somebody knocks on your door and puts you on the spot. It is it is our responsibility as individuals to pay attention to these things because unfortunately no one's going to tell us. And who knows, my views could change and Abby's could too. We could end up, you know, far other end of whatever. I like to say that our opinions, I mean, my morals don't waver, but other things can. Different facts come up. Other things, you know, we've got new perspective, whatever. I'm not saying that this is like a harsh line for me at this moment, but I mean, it feels pretty damn close. It's not a hill I'll die on, but it is a hill I will point a lot of attention to. So whether you agree with me or you agree with Abby, you agree with neither of us or both of us. And I don't really think that we're very different on this. No, I think our motives are different, but like everything, even though our motives are different, we end up at the same spot. Yes, we actually like the the moral piece of it is the same. It's just how we get there might be a little bit different, but have those conversations. You might not give a shit. And you I, know I believe in your right to not give a shit. I respect that. I, w- I wish I did not give a shit. You don't have to give a shit. So I want to talk about some quotes here from um, an investigator and some of the people that were closest to Diane. So, Oh, I love that. What a nice way to wrap that up. I want to, thank you. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, Acting Sheriff Kelly Martinez said, quote, the San Diego County Sheriff's department is committed to bringing answers to families, no matter how long ago the crime occurred. I commend the Sheriff's homicide unit and crime lab for doing an amazing job of collecting and preserving evidence nearly 34 years ago that was able to be used today. I also want to thank our cold case detectives and analysts in the sheriff's homicide unit for relentlessly pursuing justice. They kept reviewing her case using modern DNA technology, and I hope this brings some sense of peace and healing to the victim and her family. So they will continue to do these things in cases where this may apply. It was a lot of work. The result was excellent. And I'm glad that that family has that resolve. And Diane's family thanked everyone in the homicide unit for their hard work and dedication to solving her case. And her sister, Victoria, that we talked about earlier that she had been close with, was quoted as saying, 34 years is a long time to be in a state of grief and immense sorrow. Not knowing almost consumed me. My sister was an amazing person. She loved life, and she always played the violin and guitar. It's unfortunate my nephew never had the chance to know his mom. She was a great mother. The detectives did such a wonderful job. They were persistent, and whenever I would call to follow up, they knew Diane's name and her case right away. 
I didn't think anything was ever going to happen. It doesn't make the pain go away, but at least there's an answer. Oh. End quote. So. So. What a beautiful story of science and technology helping bring peace to victims, both secondary and I would say tertiary. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it. I think it sheds a lot of light on all of that. Agreed. And I really like that. And I would like to add just one other thing, um, a little beacon of hope, if you will. And we can put some more information about this up on our Instagram if you care. But President Joe Biden, as of this month, I believe August 3rd, but as of August in 2022, has signed in a new bill that will essentially help boost beginning reinvestigations of cold cases, essentially. I was not aware of this. It was super cool. I found it while I was looking up um, the stuff for my case this week. And it was just such a good timed addition to what we're both talking about this week. But there is hope and there are ways that we are using the science and technology for good. And we are passing legislation to try to encourage that. And I'm a fan of that. So I hope that this has at least prompted you to think even, you know, just a a minute about the topic and I would love to hear your opinions because I enjoy that this is a space where we could talk about those things so you know if you guys want to send us opinions like feel free to tweet us a little thing on Instagram but you could also just like send us a six-page essay if you want to our gmail but Ali what would that gmail be so the gmail if I remember correctly Mm -hmm, correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong I will I know you will. So <laughs> it's about A-B-O-U-T. A-B-O-U-T. Time. T-I-M-E. T-I-M-E. The number four. Okay. Numeric four. Yep. T-C. T-C. Yep. As in like true crime. Oh, okay. Love it. Yep. At gmail.com. Oh, okay. So it would be about time, the number four T-C at gmail.com. That is absolutely correct. Okay. Well, I just wanted to double check because I know our Instagram is different. It is different, but I don't remember what it is. Could you remind me? Absolutely. So it is funky, fresh. It's long. Love it. So eat a banana so you don't get a hand cramp. Here we go. Oh my God. It's going to be about time for true crime pod with periods in between everything. Okay. All right. So hear me out. I'm, I'm listening. I'm hearing you. It's going to be A-B-O-U-T period. A-B-O-U-T period. T-I-M-E period. T-I-M-E period. F-O-R period, not the number. F-O-R period, not the number. T-R-U-E period. T-R-U-E period. C-R-I-M-E period. C-R-I-M-E period. P-O-D. P-O-D. About time for true crime pod periods in between all of them and why is it pod um podcast was too long okay get off my back it was (laughs) jesus too long well just like our rambles whatever just like it well thank you guys for sticking around i think that diane's case is an important one to talk about and it's awful that obviously like all of them it's awful that it happened and it shouldn't have and unfortunate that the offender can't serve time for this 
Um, but fitting that we know who an offender is now after and, so long. In the family, you know, I'm pretty sure I read a quote where the sister had said like her parents had died not knowing. Ugh. but it, And she thought she would die not knowing. That and sucks. She's grateful to know now. Yeah. For better or worse, there is at least a period at the end of the sentence, which is helpful. At least they have that. And so we're we're grateful for that. So I think if I'm checking my watch, I think that was was, was ab- that about, about time, time for, for true, true crime? crime. It was. Damn. OK, guys, we'll see you later. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.